Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Before we get to today's podcast, I want to tell you about our sponsor, Analytic. Are you a business owner? Need expert help with bookkeeping, payroll, virtual CFO, or analytic services so you can focus on growing that business? You need to hire Analytic. They'll take care of day-to-day concerns while giving you insights about your company for better long-term decisions. You can find them at analytic.io. That's A-N-A-L-Y-T-I-Q dot I-O. You can also email info at analytic.io and follow at the analytics, same spelling, on Twitter. Save five reasons sent you, and if you sign up or refer someone who does, you'll receive a $200 Amazon gift card. And now, on with the podcast. Welcome into episode 50. Can't believe we're at 50 already of the Five Reasons flagship podcast on the Five Reasons sports network i always say i'm here as always with chris whittingham i am not with chris whittingham today chris uh, not able to do this podcast he will be back for the podcast that we do next week and you surely should check out one of the new podcasts in our network pitch invasion which he's working hard on that's our soccer podcast but for today i'm going to be doing this one solo with a guest who i will introduce in a second uh one thing you definitely want to check out check out our twitter feed at five reason sports that's the number five reason sports we have a lot of announcements polls contests all kinds of stuff there a couple of the announcements this week were pretty cool you already know that we have the other podcasts of three yards per carry that's our dolphins podcast miami heat beat and also balls cast in our network this week we announced that we're going to be adding another podcast to our network oj mcduffie one of the great dolphins of the past 25 years one of the most popular dolphins somebody who has stayed in our community well liked by the community hosted a radio show for a long time he is going to team up with seth levitt who worked for years for the dolphins and also for the jason taylor foundation they're going to do a podcast called fish tank dolphins tales from the deep we think it's a perfect complement to our three yards per carry podcast three yards per carry goes into the current dolphins this one's going to go back through memory lane it's going to be oj mcduffie sitting there with seth and some of the favorite dolphins in history names that you know i don't want to give them all away but you probably know who some of those guys might be telling stories and then relating it in some way to what's going on here in 2018 so very exciting but speaking of the dolphins we've been trying to bring on some guests here with expertise guys who have ended up in the media in one form or fashion um sage i'm not totally surprised that you went the media route um you're always a good talker yeah but i wasn't much of a talker not in the locker room i think that was the thing of a a backup quarterback was it was sort of a be seen and not heard uh, type of situation, at least from, you know, you know, out, you know, you, you couldn't have your own radio show. You couldn't, you didn't get interviewed that much. Your, your, you know, your job was just sort of say very little and support the starting quarterback and, and, uh, you know, be sort of the good teammate. But once you're done, uh, it's nice to finally sort of be allowed to have a voice and, and your job's not on the line because of it. Yeah, I actually spent 12 years. That's how you spent 12 years in the NFL, four with the Dolphins. We're talking to Sage Rosenfels. Um, you did – now, Sage, I think you did have something, if I remember way back. There's one thing I think you stepped out to do. Didn't you, like, have a day with Sage? Wasn't that something that, that went on? Am I, yeah, am I bringing up a bad a, memory uh, there? 
No, it wasn't a bad memory. It was a, it was a sort of mismanaged PR campaign in the sense that I was trying to raise money uh, for some charities that I was working with, and including one with my sister. Uh, and I was sort of, it was sort of a, uh, yeah, sort of a rent-a-stage, I believe, was the actual phrase that was used. And uh, yeah, that was, didn't, that, nothing really happened with that, but definitely one of those strange days of, uh, that I probably have sort of forgotten about until now of my, of my NFL career. Well, I'm glad to bring it up for you. And again, spent 12 years uh, in the NFL. You, a lot of you probably remember him best uh, from Houston. Obviously, uh, you know, played a number of other cities. In the four years uh, with the Dolphins, I remember covering uh, the game in Baltimore that you started, um, and and uh, and a few others. And there were people, you know, around uh, these parts and who wanted you to get more playing time, um, including you, a couple. Do you remember? Of do you remember who? Uh, remember who turned a kickoff uh, for a touchdown in that Baltimore? Dolphins game in 2004, week 17. Yes, it was week 17. I remember being in the stands there, uh, right right down the street from where I went to college. I do not remember who re- returned to kickoff for a touchdown. Who was that, Sage? Well, there's a, I've asked two questions from this game. Uh, well, actually, I actually have three questions from this game for Dolphins. Wes Welker returned That's to right. kickoff for a touchdown. Uh, who was my backup quarterback in this game? Oh, my God. Oh, boy. Um, all right, hold on. I, I Can I cheat? Can I cheat a little bit? Doing. He's, a head, he's a head coach in the NFL. Uh, okay. Oh, was it? Uh, oh, well, I'm trying to think of, of former uh, former Dolphins who are now head coaches in the NFL. Hold on. Did he get a snap in the game? Because I, I remember you playing the whole way. There. No. No. Jason Garrett. Oh, Jason, Jason Garrett. Garrett. Signed our, it, was, it was A.J. Feely. J.C. Bird got hurt, and so A.J. Feely started uh, about the last six games. And then, and then the week 17, he got hurt. But we had added Jason Garrett as sort of the veteran third quarterback who had spent some time, I believe, like in the Fox uh, broadcast booth uh, <laughs> earlier in that season. So I got to have and then the next season. Jason was my uh, my quarterback coach under Nick Saban. So yeah, that was a very interesting first start of my career at Baltimore Ravens. where We had about three or four wins at that point in the season. And and uh, you know, Deion Sanders was playing in the slot and they had Ed Reed and and obviously Ray Lewis and the young Terrell Suggs and. Chris McAllister, I believe, was a mm-hmm. really good corner. That and Chris Chambers uh, threw a touchdown pass, an 80 yarder to Chris Chambers in the first play of the game. That was a nice way to start. They didn't stay all good the rest of the game, but uh, not a bad way to start uh, my, in my first start. Yeah, we won't we won't go over the numbers on that one. I, I was going to mention the cha- <laughs> I was going to mention the Chambers thing, but I mean, you guys did put up 23 points, so I mean, you, you were productive offensively, even though things didn't go particularly well. Speaking of Chambers, uh, we're planning on getting him on a future pod. Chris was always the guy who was in my ear saying that you should be starting. So, uh, you know, like, like you say, uh, there, there, there were there were certain guys yeah, you, on that team who worried. You need to get Chris Chambers on your uh, on your show and, and make sure you talk about me. So, no, the uh, that would tell you what those teams, you know, 2002, three, four, uh, and five with the Dolphins were, those are for me, you know, I was a really young player, interesting years. You had the Ricky Williams saga with that. Uh, obviously with this great defense, you know, junior sale and you know, Zach Thomas and Jason Taylor, uh, you know, multiple hall of famers on that defense and a whole bunch of other just really good players. You know, Pat Sertan, Sam Madison, uh, Goulier was, was a young guy, I think in his third or fourth year. Uh, and you know, it was, it was a really fascinating time. Uh, to, to be a Dolphins player. But yeah, you know, everyone was on Ricky's back and this, that, and the other. And I'm like, you know, let's, let's the guy be. He already has, you know, anxiety issues from, you know, too, too many questions and, and just too much people into his personal life. And I felt like, 
he was being attacked left and right. And, and so that was sort of the beginning of, uh, uh, of sort of the, the beginning of the end, really, for the, the whole Dave Watson staff. And then, you know, Nick Saban coming, and that was quite the transition as well. Yeah, you played for some interesting coaches. I mean, you played for Saban, you played for Spurrier. Uh, I mean, you kind of run the gamut with I know, obviously, you played for Kubiak. Uh, but, yeah, a lot of different guys that you played with. Before we I, get I got to, one for you. Last, 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 last question. Quarterbacks coach and coordinator in that same Baltimore Ravens game. Oh, boy. All right. Uh, coordinator. Well, it wasn't uh, It wasn't Norv anymore, right? So it, it, no, Norv, that's a Norv no. left. Norv Norv was gone. Uh, quarterbacks coach. I, I mean, I was looking up your receivers. Do you even remember who your second receiver was starting that game? I bet you don't remember. Chris Chambers and who? Uh, uh, well, no, not Marty Booker. Marty Booker nah. was hurt. Uh, a guy named Gilmore. Yes. Uh, who yes. was extremely fast. Yeah, uh, yeah. So uh, my offensive coordinator, Chris Forster, uh, yes. in that game, originally <laughs> signed to be the tight ends coach, and then Norv left, and they – uh, for some reason, didn't make Mark Trestman, uh, who was the quarterback's coach, they did not make Trestman, who had just been the Raiders' uh, a coordinator, um, because they were concerned he was going to throw the ball, you know, too much, and you know, they, you know, Dave wanted to run the football and sort of old-style football, and and uh, we really struggled offensively the entire year, and and uh, yeah, that was that was Chris Forrester with, as a Miami Dolphin the first time around. Right, and he wasn't the original choice to be offensive coordinator. It was actually, if I remember correctly, wasn't it Joel Collier that they went to first? Joel, I think in in two thousand exactly right. four, yep. and Joel basically gave up the job after a week. And then, yeah, they had Tressman. I remember writing a big profile about Collier, and then like a week later, he was out. And and then they had a choice, as you said, to go with Tressman, this experienced guy, or go with Forster, who's made other kinds of news in the, over the past year. And you're right. They went with Forster. That was the decision that they made. I mean, one of the other things I heard was not just that uh, Tressman wanted to throw the ball more, but that Dave viewed him as a threat to his job ultimately. And so that that was one of the things that was out there. And that if Tressman was the offensive coordinator, that that ultimately might mean the end of Dave. It's funny the way you describe it. Like there was always so much weird politics drama going on. Like there was more drama upstairs than there was in the locker room. You know, on those football teams, the players got along with each other great. And uh, offense and defense and, uh, you know, also that team's offensive line, they, they all the, the previous year's guys had gotten really old fast and probably another reason Ricky Williams quit uh, or was, you know, probably smoking so much we, that the line got really young. It was all these first and second year guys and, and uh, you know, they really struggled that year. So, yeah, that, that was a crap storm of a season, 2004 Miami Dolphins. I'm glad to bring back all these memories for you. All right, so let's uh, let's transition <laughs> let's transition a little bit here to the present because I know you serve as an analyst these days, and we wanted to get to to quarterback situations around the NFL. And there's a lot of different types of quarterback situations now, so we're going to kind of group them together a little bit. But I want to start with part one because I, this is still primarily a Dolphins audience here that listens to this podcast, and start with Ryan Tannehill. And I want to get into a couple things with you about Ryan. Um, is there any concern for you with him missing as much time as he's missed? He's missed one full season and parts of another season because of the knee injury. And he is a guy who likes to get out of the pocket a little bit, too, and make some plays. So that, that's something to look for. And secondarily, uh, would you be concerned at all if you were a Dolphin fan that, although it appears that they had a pretty good draft, or Dolphin fans are, are fairly satisfied with it, that once again they did not take a quarterback 
uh, in this draft after saying, again, that they wanted to try to take one every year. So let's start with the injury concern. Would you, I mean, as a quarterback, if you had that kind of injury, uh, a knee injury that, again, had to get operated on after the fact, after there was a a re-injury of it, uh, would that be a concern for you entering training camp? No, I, I don't think so. It's just because, you know, as quarterbacks, you're, you generally don't have to run as much. I mean, it helps to be a guy who can run around a lot. It helps Darren Rodgers. But, you know, Drew Brees, Matt Ryan, Tom, and Tom Brady probably runs a six flat 40 at this point. And, and, you know, he obviously had his knee and missed uh, basically an entire season. Uh, so, no, it doesn't bother me as a quarterback that, you know, he sort of jacked up his knee. Uh, and it, it's, it's not a Teddy Bridgewater, you know, full blowout knee type of situation either. I, I actually think that to have a year uh, to sort of, you know, sort of sit back and watch and watch the whole organization, the way the coach coaches and the way he calls plays and, you know, to, be, to work, be, be around the coach on the sidelines and, and their demeanor and all those things. You, you learn a whole bunch sometimes by watching. I mean, for me, most of my career, I, I watched uh, in games. And it really helped me when I actually got into games and, and in practices uh, to be out there because I've sort of collected all this information by not being out there sort of in the vacuum. And, and so I actually think it'll help Ryan Tannehill so that he sat out last year. Uh, and he played really well, you know, pretty dang well two years ago. Uh, he didn't go to the Pro Bowl or anything, but I believe he had a you know, fairly high quarterback rating, good touchdown interception ratio. Uh, and uh, and you know, one of his better seasons, and so I think you know I think coming off that injury that doesn't you know worry me. Uh, he's gonna over time, by the way, have to rely less on his legs and more on his arm. I and mean, that's just sort of the way it goes in the NFL. Is you can rely, rely on your legs a little bit when you're young, but as you get older, uh, it, it's all about understanding sort of the science of the game and blitzes and protections and how you know pass patterns uh, you know work with with uh, you know defensive coverages and all those things and and really sort of uh, sharpen your craft, uh, you know, with the knowledge of the game, because physically, just naturally, you're going to become more more unathletic as you get older. And if you want to play for a long time in the NFL, you know, 14, 15, 16 years, uh, believe me, your your ability to, to hurt defenses with your legs uh, gets uh, gets less and less every every single season. So let's look at, at their situation going forward, because if you're not particularly concerned about the injury, and as you mentioned, Tannehill played well uh, with Adam Gase before he got hurt. The Dolphins were 8-5, and five. Um, He particularly the last eight games of that, where they were 7-1, and one, he had a very high quarterback rating. Um, he seemed to be you know, connecting with sort of more of a broad range of receivers, which is also something to look at this year, because they were so target-heavy with Jarvis Landry, and they're going to have to spread it out a lot more this year. But I just want to get your perspective because we're going to talk about some of these first round quarterbacks going forward. Now, the Dolphins at at number 11 were not in position to get any of the top four guys, as it turned out, unless they traded up like Arizona did uh, to get Rosen. But what is your philosophy about taking a quarterback every year? Because we've seen some organizations. Green Bay has done a lot of this. New England has done a lot of this. uh, And even when even when they've had elite guys and either the guy they draft like a Rodgers becomes the next guy or. In the case of, say, what New England has done with Brissett and, and Garoppolo, uh, that guy becomes a trade asset. What, what's your view? Do, do you Is it worth taking a quarterback just to take a quarterback? Do you have to love a guy? What, what's your philosophy on that? Well, I think the, the I think Rick Spielman, by the way, when he was sort of with the Dolphins or maybe after the Dolphin years, he sort of had, uh, you know, sort of taken that motto also of, you know, let's 
try to draft somebody sixth round, seventh round every single season. I think it's because, well, the quarterback uh, position is so important. Uh, it's the most important position uh, on a football team, uh, you know, maybe in an entire organization. Um, but uh, it's, so, it's so important. And so, you know, as we've seen, you know, there's five guys drafting the first round this year. Two might be Hall of Famers and three might be terrible. And we have no idea which one is going to be which. And that's sort of the incredible, you know, thing about it. Uh, you know, you see Tom Brady, Kurt Warner, you know, as we know, the list goes on and on and on of guys who are drafted fifth, sixth, seventh round, undrafted guys, you know, guys like Rich Gannon uh, that had great NFL careers. Uh, so if it's, you know, a seventh round pick, probably not going to be a superstar left guard or, or defensive end, you know, pass rusher guy. But, you know, maybe there's a one in 10 chance he ends up being Kurt Warner or, or a Tom Brady. And, you know, if you can get a, a Kurt Warner or Tom Brady in the sixth or seventh round, um, you know, once every 10 years, uh, it's worth probably all those wasted, you know, sixth and seventh round picks on quarterbacks that never even you know, made the practice squad. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And actually, if you look at your career here, I'm looking at uh, total passing yards uh, out of that draft class. You were you were fifth uh, all time in your career, right behind A.J. Quincy Carter was third. Uh, he, he had kind of a star course career. It looked like he was actually going to be Dallas's starter for a while, and that didn't work out. The the uh, the number one quarterback in that draft in terms of yardage, I'm, I'm sure you you know who that is, right? Dolphins had a couple shots at him. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you <laughs> why, Matt. That was, yeah, Dolphins <laughs> Yeah, you write a couple of shots of him. And uh, and, and tell you what, the, the, the San Diego Chargers, you know, they drafted LaDainian Tomlinson with the fifth overall pick that year. Uh, I believe it was the fifth overall pick. And then got Drew Brees uh, in, in the second round. And so, uh, you know, that was a, a super interesting, interesting draft. Originally, they had the first pick in the draft that season, San Diego, but they traded to Atlanta, uh, who then selected Michael Vick. Yeah, it's interesting. Drew Brees, 70,445 passing yards. Next in that draft class was Michael Vick with a little over 22,000. So that, that Brees pick uh, worked out pretty good. All right, we'll be back with Sage Rosenfels in a minute. But first, a word from one of our sponsors. We want to introduce Greenlight Tech. Greenlight Tech is a concierge IT company that offers a full, comprehensive suite of services. If you run a business in Florida, Greenlight Tech can help you streamline all of your IT services. They understand that many businesses, big and small, waste a lot of time getting IT right. Greenlight Tech will advise, monitor, support, and keep your important data backed up and secure, and even manage your service vendors. Their full services suite includes cloud backup, email hosting, and telecom services. You can visit greenlighttech.com, that's greenlighttek.com, or call 561-325-9997. That's 561-325-9997 if you want to find out more. And if you reference five reasons, they will offer you a free network assessment. And if you sign up, your first month of service will be free. All right, let's move on to number two here and something that you're familiar with. Um, you've done a lot of coverage of the Vikings. And I, I found this to be a really interesting situation because it's not often, Sage, that you have a team that gets as far as the Vikings did last year, appears to have three pretty good quarterback options on their roster, depending on how you believed Bridgewater was going to come out, uh, come back, whether or not you believed Keenum's uh, emergence last year was for real, and then whether you believe Bradford can stay healthy for longer than three weeks. And, and so any of those three guys they could have gone with. 
And they chose not to go for any of them and kind of became the dark horse candidate to get Kirk Cousins when everybody, I think, a lot of people, we did a pod on this uh, with with uh, someone you know, I think, uh, Jason Cole. And, and he was projecting, and a lot of people were projecting, that Kirk Cousins would end up in Denver um, or maybe the Jets. But he ends up in Minnesota. And I was just curious what you thought of them kind of changing the quarterback room as much as they did. And is Cousins, in your view, a big upgrade over the three guys that they let go? Well, so, so a couple of things here. One, the Bradford and Bridgewater, they definitely weren't coming back. Uh, and the Vikings just did not want to deal with a, a possible, another injury to the quarterback position. There's a, there's a great saying that they regularly use around the, the Vikings organization. Uh, it was an old Bud Grant saying, your best ability is your availability. And Bradford was only available for a few games last year, it seemed like. And, and obviously, Bridgewater come out with the injury. So you're really talking about Case Keenum. Is Case Keenum, was he the best? Uh, you know, quarterback out there for the dollar and yada, yada. I think what the Vikings decided to do was see if they could get the best guy, whatever it was going to cost them, let's get the best guy because they believe they've got a window over the course of the next, you know, three or four years that they've got a you know, loaded defense. They've got a really good young tailback. They've just signed a couple offensive linemen to pretty expensive deals from other teams, which was much improved last year. Uh, you know, Kyle Rudolph has got a couple more decent years left, I think. Uh, they've got some good young receivers. They feel like they've got this sort of a window to win a Super Bowl. So when you're in that, when you have that chance, man, you got to go after the best quarterback possible. Uh, you know, that, that's just available in any way. And so that's what they did. Uh, I really thought he might go to the Jets. I think if the Jets made a, a sort of equivalent type of run uh, at Kirk Cousins, he may have gone there. That's because of their offensive coordinator, Jeremy Bates. Uh, Kyle, uh, Kyle Shanahan, who was, who was uh, Kirk Cousins' first coach in Washington, uh, Kirk Cousins loves that style of offense. Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay, who else was on that staff? Jeremy Bates. And so uh, I think that, uh, that that Cousins really, really believes the detail, the style of that offense, the play action, and all these different things uh, that he was trying to get in a situation that was going to run that type of offense so he could feel really comfortable uh, you know, in that scheme, in that detailed scheme. And so um, that didn't work out. I, I don't, it, the Jets didn't come in with nearly the, the offer of the Vikings. So he went to the Vikings. I think he's hoping that John Filippo up there, you know, has the detail and the scheme and, and, and those two work together. That's going to be, to me, just, just as much as Kirk Cousins was a, a big acquisition for Minnesota this year, offensive coordinator John Filippo. that is going to be a really interesting uh, situation to, to look at every single game this year. Uh, he's going to be probably ridiculed a little bit, you know, here and there critiqued a lot, uh, you know, probably each game and definitely by me. Uh, because Pat Shermer was did a heck of a job, uh, you know, last year, and, and uh, you know, with uh, you know, really changing that football team, and they were a good running football team. Case Keenum obviously had his breakout season. Uh, hopefully, De Filippo can uh, you know have those type of results for the Vikings. Yeah, and, and I guess the 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 big question here is uh, that we've posed on the pod a little bit is beyond sort of the coaching he'll get and and the personnel, which I, I think the personnel in Minnesota is pretty good, particularly if Dalvin Cook comes back 100% healthy. I mean, people forget about that who aren't based up there. Like that team got that far without someone who may have been, you know, their their best offensive playmaker last year. The way the things uh, were starting, but I guess this is the big question for you: is is Kirk Cousins elite? To you, is is he? I mean, would you no. put him in that category with the top five, six, seven guys? No, no, not even. I, I don't even know if I put him. Made. I don't think I put him in the top ten uh, okay. in the NFL. He's a top fifteen guy, 
for sure. Um, he's probably somewhere between eight and, and 12 is, is, is my guess. But uh, at, at the end of the day, what are you looking for? Trying to win a Super Bowl, right? Well, only a few teams, you know, maybe six, seven guys can say, listen, we really have one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. That is a huge strength on our football team. We're going to, you know, load up you know, Atlanta. We're going to load up a wide receiver. We're going we're gonna to do this. We're going to put all these pieces around Matt Ryan. You know, the Saints have been doing that for years. Obviously, the Packers, they know their best player is their quarterback. For the rest of the teams, how can we make uh, sort of a championship caliber football team without having a top 10 quarterback or a top mm-hmm. six quarterback? Uh, that's defense. That's running the football. That's, you know, building up the offensive line. That's all these other ways you can win football games without an elite quarterback. Uh, and, uh, and, of course, you know, the, the teams who are, are sort of quarterback is their strength. They're probably going to spend more money on the weapons around that great player and paying that great player uh, uh, to uh, – but, but then you have sort of less money to go around for those other things like defense, maybe like offensive line, the running game. But you're going to rely more on that quarterback. We're, we're seeing that happen in Seattle right before our eyes. You know, as soon as Russell Wilson sort of got the big quarterback or, or big contract, that team, the talent has just sort of gotten a little bit worse just because mm-hmm. you can't afford all those players anymore. Right. And that's, that's, that's sort of a concern in Minnesota because they have a whole bunch of guys coming up on contract here in the next year or two. Trey Wayne, uh, you know, one of their, their pro bowl linebackers, Anthony Barr, uh, they've got some young, they, they, Rick Spielman and that crew up there have done an excellent job over the course of about seven years in a row uh, with free, free agent acquisitions and, and obviously in the draft. You know, what's crazy about that is because I, and I, you know, I covered Rick and, and had a bit of a relationship with Rick when he was he was down in Miami. But uh, for Dolphin fans to hear that, because I think what happened uh, in, oh, in I Miami. Oh, I, yeah, I, I, I I know. And, and I think what happened there was that every Rick decision got grouped as a as a Dave decision. And I mean, there were a couple in particular, and I've told this story before, so I can tell it again. But um, after they after they made the Eddie Moore pick, um, instead of taking the Eddie Anquan- Moore pick is, is, is the Eddie Moore the Eddie Moore Anquan Bolden pick yes. that we really needed a second wide receiver. That is sort of like goes down infamy of yes. terrible Dolphins draft picks. It's like it's like Anthony, or it's like uh, uh, the Ginn, Ted Ginn over you know whoever the Dolphins wanted at that time. Well, well this one was worse actually. Yeah, well, Rodgers, but, but but as you know, Sage, a lot of teams passed on Aaron Rodgers, but this one was staring right at them. And after they made that pick and they were starting to get killed for it because, I mean, Eddie Moore was not what they expected. And, you know, I'd heard basically that in the meetings, what, what had happened was, you know, Dave said, I, I need a special teams linebacker. And, and I know that Robert Ford, who was the wide receiver coach at the time, was like, you're kidding me. Like, we've got this kid. He's from Pahokee. Uh, we've all seen him grow up at FSU. He made the transition to receiver. He's physical. He catches the ball. He's he's got leadership oh. qualities. And 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 so basically after all this happened, uh well, by way, we, me- we basically just had we basically if I recall, we basically had Chris Chambers, Aranda Gadsden maybe coming yes. off an injury, I feel like. Yes. Uh James McKnight who was basically really, really fast. Mm-hmm. Uh but not really a, a you know a not a number two or not a number one, maybe a mm-hmm. three or a four. Uh, we really needed that second receiver spot so, so badly. And then first game of the year, I believe they were playing Arizona playing at Detroit. And I think he had over 300 yards receiving in his first game. And it was just, and Eddie Moore was like, I don't even know if he, I don't think he dressed. 
No, I don't think. Well, the the only thing Eddie Moore did in Miami was he got into a he lost a bar fight, but that that was basically it. But but says Rick called me up that to was, his office. That may have been the beginning. Of, that may have been the beginning of the end. By the way, I, I thought there was something later when Norv left. I actually think it was the Eddie Moore draft. It, it, it was it, like, it, what are we doing? And and then at the press conference, it was like. Yes, he's going to be a really good special teams player for us this year. He's not going to probably play much linebacker. And we're all like, we need a receiver. In the, in the second round, the special teams linebacker. Just uh, one quick thing on this, Sage. So Rick calls me up in his office, and he pulls out. He doesn't even say anything. He just calls me in the office, and he pulls out his grades, okay? And he said, I just want you to look at this. And he, the way he graded players was, uh, it was what like if you were a late first round pick, it, you were a one point like one nine. The, the le- it was it, whatever was after the the decimal point uh, was the round, and then if you were like a nine, that meant late in the round. If it was like a one one, that's like okay, that's the guy you pick first oh, or God. second in the draft. So he he puts these things down. He says, I just want you to see my grade. This is not our grade. This is my grade on Eddie Moore and Anquan Bolden. And he puts it down. He says, this is Eddie Moore, 1.31. So I'm like, okay, you had him as a high third-round pick. You guys reached a little bit. That's not too bad. goes, here was my my pick on Anquan Bolden. He goes, 1.19. Who do you think I wanted in that yeah, meeting? But... <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling like... you, like, that was, that was, that, and, I, and I see you at events where, but that was the thing. There was just so much. Uh, between Dave and, and Bobby Rick and, and Dave, mm-hmm. and, you know, it was just sort of all over uh, in that organization at that time. But our defense was so good. You know, Jimmy Johnson had before I got there drafted. They said you know Zach Thomas and and Jason Taylor and, and the defense and, and Tim Bowens was just amazing on the inside. And uh, the, the defense was in Pastor and instead and Sam Madison and their scheme. It stopped the run and man, we were hard to throw against. Uh, it was that that defense kept us in a lot of football games, but uh, they, they started making mistakes, uh, you know, for whatever reason. That, obviously, that was a huge one. Yeah, that was a huge one. And then the other one, we mentioned Breeze when they took Jamar Fletcher uh, over Breeze, uh, e- even though uh, uh, they had at the time uh, two uh, elite corners in uh, in Sertan yeah, and Madison one in their too. prime. They had two elite corners and Fletcher was a zone corner. Mm-hmm. And we played all man to man. I mean, Peter, we played all Sam Madison did for about 10 years was chase people. Mm-hmm. That's all. There was no like there was almost no zone where you'd see him you know, jam the receiver and stay there. It, it was chasing and undercutting people all day long. And uh, then they go out and draft, uh, as you said, you know, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a first round pick. Yeah, a, yeah. Uh, first round a, pick. a third corner who was a zone guy. It was because supposedly they were worried about Santana Moss, uh, mm-hmm. who the Jets had drafted as their sort of third wide receiver. I think it was Kerbet, Santana Moss, and uh, and was it, was it the Florida State, the real fast guy from Florida State? Uh, Lavernius Cole. The guy's name. Laver- La- La- Lavernius Cole. Cole. So they had these they had these three receivers, and how are we going to match up with those guys? We got to draft another corner. So yeah, that wasn't a very good pick. Uh, you know, no, I obviously Chris Chambers in the second round. You know, that was a very good pick. Chris Chambers was a, was a really good player for quarterback to play with and to throw to and, and, and really one heck of a teammate. Yeah, and really, really good guy. And we're going to get him on the pod here uh, soon. We'll be back with more with Sage Rosenfels. But first, a word from another of our sponsors. You know, hurricane season is again upon us and thousands of Floridians have not received 
fair compensation for their Hurricane Irma claims. If your claim was denied, underpaid, or assessed below your deductible, you need a free consultation with an experienced insurance attorney. You've got to check out the law office of Lloyd J. Heilburn. Call 561-727-3636 or contact through heilbrunlaw.com. That's H-E-I-L-B-R-U-N-N-L-A-W.com. The law office of Lloyd J. Heilbrunn handles insurance, personal injury, and wrongful death cases on a no-fee, no-cost, unless... Save big money at Menards. Let the fresh air in and keep the bugs out with replacement screen for your doors and windows from AdForce. It's easy to install, durable against the elements, and comes in a variety of types to suit your needs. Repair your screens today with a roll of replacement screen. On sale through May 5th. And check out more great deals happening now in our weekly flyer on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. There is a recovery basis. So there's no risk to you. All you got to do is say that five reasons sent you. Let's move on to a couple more quarterback situations. We'll blow through these a little bit quicker. Uh, Denver, um, obviously, we talked a little about Keenum's situation. It's been curious to me, Sage, how somebody like Elway who obviously has such a familiarity and an expertise at the position, has found it difficult to find the guy out there. I mean, I, Peyton obviously yep. just you know got old and got hurt, and, and so that played into it. But, uh, you know, the Osweiler thing, they, they made the right decision by by not matching that offer. But then they drafted— Well, they, uh, they drafted Osweiler in the second round. They drafted Paxton Lynch at the end of the first round. I mean, that's over, too. I mean, this is not right. taking a flyer in a sixth or seventh rounder. Like, they must have liked those guys. And what's interesting, and they're, they're both really big, tall guys. Mm-hmm. You know, they're six, 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 seven guys. So it's interesting. And they're not always a big guy, obviously, but it's interesting. They've gone after these two really tall quarterbacks and, and really missed pretty badly over two. So what, so what is Keenan's, what is Keenum's role there? Like, how does he fit? I mean, do you, you think I, and they've paid him, obviously they didn't give him huge money, but they've paid him. Um, so I would assume he's got the inside track, over Paxton Lynch, uh, you know, I know they don't want to give up on Paxton Lynch entirely, but you would assume he's got the inside track there. How does he fit in Denver system compared to the way that he played in Minnesota last year? I actually, I think he fits. I don't know the system all that well, uh, but as far as sort of fitting on the team on paper, he actually makes a ton of sense. I, you know, as I watched every Vikings game last year, covered him uh, for the athletic and, and they, he, he's a, he's an accurate quarterback. He's more accurate than people realize. He's got a really quick release, uh, which gets him out of a, gets him out of a, a lot of uh, trouble, sacks and those types of things. He gets the ball out quick before the, the rush can get to him. He made good decisions 98% of the time last year. It seemed about once a game he'd make sort of a bonehead throw. He'd sort of throw one up, uh, and it would either be intercepted or a, you know, a linebacker would just maybe just drop it. And so it always sort of concerned you because their style was defense, you know, running game, even after Dalvin Cook got out, man, the running game really started to heat up with their two running backs. And so he played as the year went on, probably a little more conservative. I think early in the year he was out there. He was sort of a gun. He, he is by, by heart, by his nature, by his training. He's a gunslinger. The guy threw for, look up his stats at the University of Houston. He threw for ungodly amounts of yards, like 20,000 yards in college or something like that. So that's his nature, throw the ball, throw the ball, throw the ball. But as the year went on, man, he really got good at managing, quote, quote, managing football games, understanding, you know, we have a seven or 10 point lead on uh, maybe a lesser opponent. Uh, I'm not going to take a lot of chances. Uh, you know, I said he, he's accurate on the short, the intermediate game. 
Uh, he, he kept them in games last year, and a lot of balls, a lot of balls uh, sort of you know bounced their way last year. Uh, you know, with, uh, with with the Vikings, and so I, I think he's a good pick. He 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 also is sort of a playmaker. He will sort of in an Aaron Rodgers type of way. When the pocket breaks down, he's sort of slippery and athletic because he's only six foot. So he is, he's a good athlete and runs around well. But he does a good job of sort of making plays when things break down up front. He's one of those quarterbacks that makes the offensive line many times look better than they actually are. And Denver definitely is the quarterback that can do that. Yeah, I mean, their talent. You talk about a team whose talent eroded a little bit, and Seattle's a great example of it, um, you know, because, I mean, they, they had not only did, uh, did was Seattle in a position where they had the, the cheap Russell Wilson contract, but they also drafted a lot of their elite guys late. Um, I mean, you look at Sherman and some of the other players that performed really well for them over the years, and then once they had to get to second contracts with them, that whole thing blew up. A little of that happened with Denver, too. So that roster is not quite as good as it was, although it does look like they're going to be pretty good at rushing the passer this year uh, with their draft pick and with Von Miller. All right, let's move to, to they, number they four. Did, they did, uh, as I said, they also lost, you know, they lost Tlaib, uh-huh. uh and, you know, the players are getting a little bit older. So, you know, that Denver defense, which was dominant just a couple of years ago, sort of like Seattle was a few years ago, uh, seems to have gotten old quick or, or teams have been traded for, you know, to probably to, for draft picks or whatever to, Get fret, you know, get get younger talent and and not have to pay these huge salaries. Yeah, it's uh, it's transition that all these teams have to go through with the cap. More from Sage Rosenfels on NFL quarterbacks in a second, but first a word from our Dolphins podcast, Three Yards Per Carry. Not that we're always right on the Three Yards Per Carry podcast, but we tend to have a pretty high batting average. It wouldn't surprise me if they pulled some sort of Stefan Anthony deal, you know, with a kind of a guy who's on the perimeter on the bubble of it, you know, giving up his six round pick or whatever. If I had to make a line, I would say Minka Fitzpatrick is a clear cut favorite to be taken at 11. But I think number one overall is going to be Baker Mayfield with the Cleveland Browns. And I don't think that Rashad Penny's going to end up here because I think he's going to go in the first round. So a guy that they can get in third and beyond is Callan Ballage of Arizona State. On Saturday, Justify will win the Kentucky Derby. But wait, that's mostly me being right. Well, maybe Chris and Simon should get some editing software. So tune in every Thursday morning for the Three Yards Per Carry podcast on the Five Reasons Sports Network. All right, let's move to number four. I I put this on a poll at Five Reasons Sports. A lot of people thought this was one of the more interesting quarterback situations, uh, and that's Arizona. And I want to touch on this with you uh, for a couple of reasons. One is, obviously, you've seen Bradford as much as he played in, in Minnesota and, and he keeps sort of getting another chance, right? Like there, you know, he, it was with the Rams and it was with Philadelphia. Uh, then it's with Minnesota. It, when he plays, he always has this ridiculous completion percentage. Some of the other numbers don't quite translate, but what I want to get into you more is, is the Rosen pick um, for this reason, because uh, as you said, you, you were a backup quarterback. And so, I mean, I knew you a little bit, obviously, from being around the team, but you weren't out there expressing your views. And I know you have views that go beyond football and you express them now on Twitter. You can follow them at Sage Rosenfels 18. Like you're not you're not shy about sharing what you think about society, politics and all that sort of stuff. Uh, Josh Rosen is not shy about that stuff either. And Josh Rosen, though, is going to be a starting quarterback. Uh, You know, if it's not in his first year, it's certainly going to be in his second year. And he's going to be asked to be the face of a franchise. Where do you come down on that? Like, I I, I mean, whether or not you share some of his views are, would you be concerned at all about a guy who has 
views outside of, of football as the face of the team. So we know how so many quarterbacks around the league, they make a living by being vanilla, right? Like just not saying, I mean, Tom Brady has said very few interesting things in the past 15 years publicly. I mean, when he does, it's a big issue. Rodgers does. Um, he's one who will speak out a little bit. Cam gets in trouble when he speaks out. But it's just one of those things that with that position, uh, I, sometimes I feel like you're expected to just shut up and play to a certain degree. It, would you have any concerns yeah, about Josh Rosen? I don't have any concerns. I mean, just like I don't have concerns about Steve Kerr, Greg Popovich being good NBA coaches because they also speak out. I mean, there's football and then there's things that are not football. It's interesting with, with, with the NFL and with the sport of football, everyone seems to sort of take everything overly serious. And, uh, you know, it's, a, it's sort of a serious, intense sport. You know, there's sort of this whole personality, like being a football guy, which means like your, your whole life is dedicated to, to the game. And you, you wake up at three in the morning, you watch film uh, until midnight every single day all year trying to find an edge. I mean, it's a little bit over the top and ridiculous. And, and uh, I think Josh Rosen, who did grow up, uh, you know, very, with very educated you know, parents and very successful parents, I mean, he grew up rich. I think that's sort of the thing that probably also gives them uh, an angle of, you know what, like if they don't want to pay me in football, I'll go make money doing something else. And, and, you know, he sort of already has that, but maybe there's less risk there for him of, you know, uh, upstaying sponsors and not getting a, you know, a, a shoe contract or not, you know, if, if he speaks, you know, about politics or whatever, I don't look at it as a negative when players, you know, have other things in their life. I think it's actually great. And sometimes it might be politics, but a lot of players, it's religion. Some it's, you know, community service. Uh, players like to travel a ton in the offseason. Um, so, you know, that doesn't worry about uh, – that doesn't bother me at all. I actually, I'm more worried about guys like Baker Mayfield, to be honest with you, who have mm -hmm. shown these signs of immaturity. That concerns me. Immaturity uh, at the quarterback position uh, is extremely concerning. Why? Because you're going to give a guy – I mean, what's, he's going to get a $35 million guarantee – uh, guaranteed contractors or somewhere somewhere around there and the the worst way to help somebody to mature is to give them a ton of money and a ton of fame well that's baker mayfield right now he's going to be more famous he's going to have now he's going to have more money is that going to help him mature i don't know but, you know so uh i think that josh Roden is i prefer players who are who are smart you know rich gannon's a very smart guy uh he was a very sort of intellectual guy a lot of times that means that you should, a lot of times you should become obsessed with the X's and O's of the game, which I think is a good thing. Uh, and it also means that I think Josh Rosen sees big picture. He probably mm -hmm. sees how his role as the Arizona Cardinals quarterback and how it sort of fits into the grand scheme of things, not just with Arizona, but with the NFL and also maybe in the country. You know, what is that, you know, that role, big or small? And I think, it's, you know, smart people understand where their sort of seat is on the bus in society. And I think that'll be... I think he'll be refreshing, to be honest with you. Well, that's one of the, the differences. You mentioned the NFL and the way that, that players are kind of perceived there. Uh, we did a pod about why, in our view, um, the NBA has gained on the NFL a little bit. NFL is still king sport. There's no question about that. But if you look at ratings, um, you know, one of the things that's pointed to is obviously the kneeling and that that hurt the NFL's ratings. NBA players have been as outspoken or more outspoken than NBA and the NFL players. And NBA ratings are up 15 percent this year. I mean, they're not down. They're up. Uh, whereas you have NASCAR ratings are way down. And obviously they've been uh, very, you know, uh, NASCAR is, a, you know, 
they haven't had any, you know, lack of allegiance to the flag or anything along those lines in NASCAR. And and one of the theories that that Chris and I have had when we've talked about this on the pod is that in the NBA, the NBA audience, I think, is more uh, willing to sort of hear, you know, social justice, uh, you know, arguments and and that kind of thing, whereas the NFL audience is not. Now, part of that may be because the NBA audience right. tends tends to be a little more diverse, maybe a little bit younger. Uh, I think that plays into it. But there's cle- there's a clear line of demarcation. Like, NBA players well, are not getting less popular because they speak out. Yeah, so it's very clear. And if you really – I just look at the demographics. Demographics of the players, demographics of the fans. Uh, you know, football is not an inner-city sport, really. It's really more of a suburb uh, a sport or even, you know, small-town type of sport. Basketball is a you know sort of a city sport in general. That a lot of players come from the inner cities and, and cities and, 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 th- and things like that. And and also stadiums are always you know right in the cities and and, and stuff. So I mean most you know Chicago or wherever uh, you know the inner city football is not that good in a lot of big American cities. So there's a demographic of that demographic of the fans. Um, you know the NFL really started in probably since 911, but definitely in 2009. Uh, they probably realized that uh, you know they they they, said they they made that connection with the military. It, everything that the NFL, the NBA is every, everything sort of everyone does is try to increase their fan base, and they have to connect with the military, trying to uh, you know market their their product better. In fact, it was somebody that really I think everyone appreciates you know in the United States, and so the NBA didn't do that not because they don't love America or appreciate the military, but that wasn't you know the decisions that they made, and so. Uh, yeah, it's every sport has their different sort of marketing reasons and why they do things. And, and, uh, you know, I think TV ratings and all those things, I, I tell you this, the NFL does the ratings might be down a little bit. I think they're equivalent to general ratings around mm-hmm. sort of the country. The NBAs are up, but general ratings of the other shows, people are you know, watching more Netflix and, and getting their information on Twitter or, you know, you know, my, some of my kids, they just watch a lot of YouTube. They don't even watch you know, regular mm-hmm. television anymore. So there's a lot of that going on as well. Uh, but uh, it's really an interesting time to study all of it uh, because younger people are, you know, switching off the, the TV sets and, 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 and are on other devices. And uh, But the NFL, I promise you, is making more money this year than it made last year. Yeah, there's no question about that. I mean, they still find a way uh, to make money. But just an interesting topic. Uh, real quick here before we move to these other situations in part five, uh, Rosen or or Bradford, who do you think uh, is going to be their starter this year? What what do you think they end up doing? So I believe that when they sign Sam Bradford to, I believe, a one-year $20 million deal, the moment that ink was dry was the moment they were looking for Sam Bradford's replacement. All right. So they've obviously found him in Rosen. So my guess is that Sam Bradford starts the season. He'll get hurt at some point. Uh, <laughs> right. Which is, right. I mean, there's going to be a deal where, oh, he twisted this or hurt this or whatever uh, in week six. And he's going to be out for two weeks. And then we're going to see Josh Rosen. If Josh Rosen does terrible, we'll see Sam Bradford again. If Josh Rosen plays halfway well, they might just stay with Josh Rosen and say it's when it's going to be one of those sort of rebuilding years with the young quarterback to get him experience. You know, Eli Manning, he sat out about the first 10 games, uh, I believe, of his of his rookie season. I think the Giants were even like 7-3. and three. They sat, benched Kurt Warner for Eli, and they said basically we're going to, you know, that that's the wash on that season. And so uh, I, I can see them you know, doing that. I can see Josh Rosen playing at some point, and I can definitely see him finishing out the last, you know, month of the season or so. 
All right. Yeah, I, I can see a similar uh, scenario out there. Obviously, Bruce Arians not there anymore, but but uh, from all indications, had sort of in, some influence on the Josh Rosen pick. So, uh, and they went up and got him too. So, so clearly they're going to try to make him their starter sooner rather than later. We'll continue the conversation in a minute, but first, want to introduce you to another of the great podcasts in the growing Five Reason Sports Podcast Network, and that is Miami Heat Beat. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Heat Beat Podcast. I'm your host, Giancarlo Navas. And this week, we had Evan Cohen of ESPN West Palm and Sirius XM Mad Dog Radio. We talked trades, off-season scenario, how better is justice, and Evan also eviscerated LeBron. Well, he brought Miami championships, please. Miami taught him how to win, brought him two championships. I remember 06. Where's his before coming to Miami? Give me a freaking break. Okay? I mean, that was ridiculous. I was on the air that night. They won a championship. I was I was doing weekends and nights and random fill-in stuff on QAM. They win a championship, and I'm on the air all night. I don't remember talking about LeBron that night, so I don't want to hear that. Find that and more on the latest Miami Heat Beat podcast. You can find us at MA Heat Beat on Twitter. And expect a new episode every Monday until the end of the NBA playoffs. Now on the Five Reasons Podcast Network. Let's get to part five and let's do these rapid fire here. We've got four other situations with rookie quarterbacks. And I just want to kind of go through them with you real quick. And you give us sort of an assessment of how you think they would play out. Let's start, uh, since obviously this is Dolphins country here, let's start with the Jets. And they draft Sam Darnold. They still have Josh McCown, who didn't have a bad year last year. I think he's going to be 39 years old this year. Um, and then they, they, they end up with Bridgewater also. So they've got two veteran guys and one guy that they drafted in the top five. How do you see that playing out? Well, Teddy Bridgewater is going to be the starter for sure. No, I'm just kidding. I, I, uh, to be honest <laughs> okay. with you, I, I sort of, I I sort of think I'm, I'm, I'm a little worried that Teddy may not even make the team. I believe it's, it's guaranteed only about a half a million bucks. And so that's, you know, that's nothing. That's pennies for the NFL teams, the salary cap, if they feel like they don't need that player. So that, that's my concern with Teddy. But it's probably a similar situation to Arizona. Uh, I can definitely see Josh McCown sort of start in the season. Uh, definitely starting training camp in the first preseason games as a starter. And then you know, the, the Jets will know a lot more. All these teams will know a lot more by literally the end of the first mini camp. Uh, maybe not a rookie mini camp, but the first real, uh, you know, when the varsity is all there, those sort of first practices, you sort of, you sort of see where is this kid at? How well was he coached in college? How detailed was their, how complicated was their system? Uh, you know, is he physically ready to be a guy that, you know, he just needs some seasoning and we can throw him out there, you know, sort of the wolves in his rookie season. And no two guys are alike. And uh, that's one of those things where you just, you don't know what you're going to get until he's actually on campus. Uh, he's actually gone through some practices. It's not just meetings. It's not just throwing sessions. He's out there uh, trying to complete passes against, you know, another NFL defense. You learn a lot in those first mini camps. Well, then we go to Buffalo, um, the other team in the division. This is, I, I would say, the most controversial of the picks. Um, Josh Allen, to, uh, to get a guy who struggled with his accuracy in college. They also uh, added McCarron, who, who, also, who almost ended up with Cleveland last year, but has an opportunity to start. What do you think of Josh Allen? Does, does completion percentage in college matter that much to you? No, not at all. And people point to like, well, Kyle Bowler had like a 48% completion percentage in college. Okay, well, you know, I had a 51% in college, and I, I believe about a 63% in the NFL. So a couple of things that go into that. You know, I was actually a decently accurate quarterback in college. We were just in a system 
that wasn't super precise and we're, you know, running little stick routes with our tight end and, and super easy completions. We were doing a lot of play action, a lot of sprint out bootleg, uh, you know, more turn, more challenging passes. And, and uh, so, and we didn't have an advanced sort of passing game. All uh, right. So I'm not worried about his completion percentage. I'm not really all that worried about his accuracy. Uh, I think that just gets better over time when you get more and more comfortable. He has this highest ceiling of all these quarterbacks. He's the guy that physically he sort of has hall of fame attributes uh, you know, from his size, his athletic ability, his arm strength, all those types of things. I also believe he's going against really the worst of all this sort of veteran uh, starters, A.J. McCarron. Uh, I believe he'd be the sort of the, the easiest guy to beat out. We might see, you know, uh, Josh Allen early, which is interesting. Buffalo made the playoffs last year. They got rid of Tyrod Taylor. I don't see them making the playoffs with A.J. McCarron or Josh Allen this year. Uh, but that I, I could see Josh Allen playing early. I do, I do like the pick. I think he fits sort of the Buffalo, you know, I, Josh Rosen going to Buffalo, I think would have been disaster. Mm. Josh Rosen doesn't want to live in Buffalo. He's, he's not going to connect with that audience. A uh, kid from Wyoming playing the snow half of his games, he'll connect with that audience in Buffalo. I think that uh, that's actually sort of a match made in heaven. That's an interesting. I, I didn't even think of it that way, but that's definitely interesting. And Josh Rosen, I mean, Arizona, it's not quite L.A., but it's more cosmopolitan than uh, than Buffalo. So, yeah, that 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 makes a lot of sense. All right. Two more here. Uh, Baltimore. And uh, when they made the pick of Lamar Jackson, I joked that, well, it'll be Lamar Jackson who hands the Dolphins their annual loss in Baltimore, because I feel like we've been going through that for the last uh, 15 years. Joe Flacco's had kind of an up and down run. I mean, uh, that might be generous actually over the last three years. Like he, you look at his numbers, he's regressed. Um, I don't know if they're ready to replace him right away. I don't know how close to ready Lamar Jackson is. How do you see that one playing out? Yeah. Uh, th- this sort of situation, you know, Flacco sort of has not been criticized by a lot of people outside of Baltimore because most people just don't pay attention to Baltimore that much. They're not one of those premier teams. He sort of has that, uh, you know, sort of gold still on him that he won a Super Bowl years ago. But if you look at his numbers, man, they've just got worse and worse and worse. I, I believe he finished a, maybe two seasons ago with about a 69 quarterback rating or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, or in the low 70s, it was very low. Uh, but you don't see this national criticism. Well, now they finally actually went out. And I would Ozzie Newsom's sort of last first-round pick. Uh, you know, they got this young quarterback who is the complete opposite of Joe Flacco. Other than Tom Brady, Joe Flacco might be the most sort of, you know, iron deer, staying in the pocket, pocket passer, not going to move around quarterback in the entire NFL. Those two are probably about as close to each other as possible. Obviously, Baltimore, they want to go in a completely opposite direction uh, and get somebody that can, you know, obviously move around and be a little bit more of a playmaker. Uh, I'll tell you this, I with, with Lamar Jackson, I actually like the way I, the ball came out of his hand in college. I watched enough of his college football games and I watched enough highlights. I thought he was a pretty good thrower in college. What concerned me is I watched the combine and the ball, you know, the NFL ball and the college balls are different. Mm. And I really struggled when I got to the NFL of just sort of having the ball comfortably come my hands. It looked to me when Lamar Jackson was at the, uh, the, the combine this last year, the ball wasn't coming out of his hand naturally. He, he did not look comfortable on the NFL ball, so that's what concerns me. And not his college tape that didn't look good and the police percentage and this, that, and the other, making the NFL throws, is actually, he looked to me uncomfortable at the combine throwing the NFL football. 
That's interesting. Yeah, not a lot of people talked about that. You mentioned Flacco here. Uh, just to go through his quarterback rating, 2013, uh, he dipped all the way to 73. And then uh, 91 had a bit of a resurgence. Then 83, 83, and 80. And and as you know, uh, th- that rating is inflated these days. Uh, so, I mean, to hey, be— way, my, my career my career quarterback rate, I believe, is 81. So, okay. I mean, I'm a, I was a 12-year backup. So, we're basically saying the last three— or really say four out of the last five years, he's played like an NFL backup or worse and had yeah, one good season. And you, and you can argue, too, that, again, as the rules have continued to change, that, I mean, the average rating is up over the past few years since when you uh, were playing more consistently. So, yeah, it's, I, you could say, actually, he's played, played below uh, an NFL backup during the past three years. So that's, you know, that's not great. And, and you, know, you look at a little deeper in the numbers. I mean, last year was 18 to 13 touchdown to interception the year before 20 to 15 the year before 14 to 12. So he just has not been, uh, has not been great. All right. Final one here. You mentioned Baker Mayfield a little bit earlier. Uh, Cleveland's one in 31 in the past two seasons. So it can't get much worse. They've added Landry. Uh, they, they've added, uh, you know, they've added Carlos Hyde in the backfield. So they, they've got better personnel. They have, uh, we'll see whether uh, Gordon can stay uh, on the field for them this year. That's a, that's a big question, but they seem to have some offensive personnel with Duke Johnson coming back. And like you said, uh, Tyra Taylor did take Buffalo to the playoffs last year, even with his coach kind of submarining him a little bit uh, and benching him for that one game. You've mentioned questions about Baker's maturity here. How how long do you think they'll wait? Because I, you know, I lived up in Cleveland basically for a year um, in fourteen fifteen. I know how the fans are up there when it comes to the Browns. They're going to be pushing for Baker to play. I, to me, that's a challenging situation for Tyrod Taylor. How do you think that plays out? Well, I actually, uh, I actually like what I've seen out of Baker since college, you know, since the college season ended, I liked the way he's done his interviews and the way he's gone about his business. And I said, I, my biggest concern was always maturity based off of those things in college. And uh, that usually doesn't go well as you get all this money and fame in the NFL. So, but what I've seen so far, I really like, I also think that Baker understands he's sit, he's really sitting on sort of the opportunity to make hundreds of millions of dollars. I mean, he's right on the edge of that. And, and, you know, he has, a good, you know, three, four years here uh, and, and shows what he can do and then plays the way he played. Gosh, I tell you what, he was probably the most accurate, uh, maybe him and Rosen, but I, I've read some studies. He was the most accurate of all these top quarterbacks in college as far as throws that he made and you know, how many that he missed or were, were bad throws versus how many were on target. And, and he also makes pretty dang good decisions with the football. I'm an Iowa State guy. We're, we're Big 12 Conference. I've seen Baker Mayfield play a ton of college football games over the last four years. He makes a lot of really good decisions and stays away from a lot of, you know, bad plays for the most part. So he, he sort of has that Brett Farvian, you know, type. if he's a good player, it's because he sort of plays sort of the way Favre plays. And, and mm. he does have a strong arm. He does all these attributes. It was this maturity thing, you know, that, that I was always worried about. So how does this thing play out? I've always liked Tyrod Taylor. I've always been sort of thought that he got uh, said, you know, they went to the playoffs last year. And that, that includes Peterman uh, at quarterback uh, for one game who was a disaster throwing six picks, you know, in the first half or whatever that was. Uh, so, you know, Tyrod Taylor must've played fairly well last year to get Buffalo, you know, in the playoffs in that division uh, of, of the AFC East. So he could definitely start, you know, early in the year. Uh, you know, my concern with, with the quarterback situation there 
is not the quarterbacks. It's the rest of the football team. I mean, they were mm-hmm. so, they've been so bad the last two years. It's like that team doesn't need just a quarterback and maybe a, a running back and a receiver. They need like a lobotomy. I mean, they need it's <laughs> the, the, something drastic needs to change with that football team. And, and maybe Baker Mayfield sort of that, that guy. Maybe he's that sort of magic spice uh, you know, that, that they need. They need something. Uh, it's not just going to be accuracy and a guy who makes a few plays. Uh, it's going to be somebody that they can completely believe in. So Baker Mayfield or Tyrod Taylor, whoever plays this year, uh, but Baker for long term, he's got to be able to connect with that football team to get them all believing that, man, Baker Mayfield's our guy. He's going to bring us to the promised land and then raise the level of all, all, you know, all other 52 guys who are going to be on that roster this year. Yeah, and I saw you make the point on Twitter. There were a couple of people who were saying he was Manziel too. But as you said, he's a much better thrower uh, of the football than than Johnny Manziel. And, and also, uh, you know, whatever the, the maturity concerns are, I don't think they're the same as the maturity concerns uh, with Manziel. Like, uh, it seems like Mayfield, like, is really engaged uh, with the game. I mean, you know, has he occasionally sort of, you know, jumped out and done some some nutty things? Yes. Uh, but but I don't I don't feel like it's the same as Manziel. All right, before we let you go, Sage, I have one question for you. Try to answer this uh, relatively quickly, but again, as uh, somebody who, who is willing to step out into this world a little bit, do you think we'll ever see Colin Kaepernick play in an NFL game again? Probably not. Uh, I don't think so. Um, if Based off of his last season in San Francisco, and that's the thing is, it's funny, you know, he had 16 touchdowns and four picks there on this, I believe, a two-win football team out there in San Fran. That was a complete disaster with the, sort of the Chip Kelly uh, experiment and after Hall Ball left, that team got, you know, the defense got extremely old really fast. The whole thing sort of fell apart. But this is what I sort of do for a living. It's what I've been doing since I retired about five, six years ago as I study quarterbacks. And Colin Ka- Kaepernick uh, is at, at the end of that, at that season, even that really bad year, I probably would have put him at the 25th best quarterback in the NFL. Um, so yeah, obviously his, I mean, you know, Reed, Eric Reed, who is the safety, I'm not sure what his situation is going to be in the NFL, you know, long-term and, uh, you know, he, cause he kneeled next to him as well. So he was a starting safety in the NFL. Is he a pro bowler? No. Is he a hall of fame or no? But those guys have the, definitely the physical talent, uh, you know, to do it. So it's, it's, that is, it's, a, it's extremely interesting debate to the whole sort of Kaepernick, um, you know, situation, you know, by the way, Martin Luther King had a 30% approval rating uh, when he died, just an mm-hmm. FYI on that. So I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not trying to say Colin Kaepernick is, is Martin Luther King, but sometimes people who are you know, trying to make drastic change in, in a country uh, end up being sort of the scapegoat or, uh, or, or there's a negative opinion of them early. And then later on, history sometimes changes that opinion. Yeah, I mean, we saw some pretty horrible quarterback play last year. And just, it was, I mean, to watch the hoops that Houston went through uh, to find quarterbacks uh, that weren't Colin Kaepernick. Incredible. Right? After Deshaun Watson got hurt. Chase Daniel has, Chase Daniel, uh, who's now the Bears quarterback, and I believe has signed a two-year $10 million deal. I think he's got two starts in his career, and he's made about 30 million bucks. Uh, and, you know, really hasn't played at all uh, recently, you know, back in a breeze and stuff for the most of his career. But, you know, there's he's make, now he's not just in the league. He's making a ton of money uh, in the league, which is good for him. But, you know, if, I always say every. Colin Kaepernick's not at least their backup quarterback, because they all say we're doing whatever we can to win football games. If that was really the case, Colin Kaepernick would be a backup somewhere because he's better than basically every backup in the NFL. 
Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. Sage Rosenfels didn't make two starts in his career. He made 12 uh, and so uh, and, and won six of them. So uh, so that's uh, you, you would be making much more than Chase Daniel money right now if you were still playing. Well, thank you, my friend. We appreciate you doing this. You can follow him at Sage Rosenfels 18. Also, uh, he's with the Athletic Minnesota. So definitely check him out there post a bunch of stuff uh on his twitter feed you can follow us at five reasons sports that's the number five again subscribe to all the podcasts in our network miami heat beat balls cast three yards per carry pitch invasion and we got another one uh we're going to be announcing here before too long appreciate you doing it sage all right ethan thanks for having me on Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.